market has been laser focused on the Fed, but we're zooming out to the next decade for interest rates. Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everyone. It's the week of July 3rd, 2023, and we wish a very happy Independence Day to all of our U.S. listeners. But for our entire audience, we're going to talk today about long-term interest rates. I think it's a great topic because it provides some interesting connective tissue for many of the discussions we've been having in the past few weeks here on the pod. We've been focused on megatrends, the drivers of what we believe are likely to impact the next decade or decades of investing, and how investors can consider those long-term opportunities today through areas like infrastructure or real estate. We've also shared our mid-year outlook, including our view on short-term interest rates and Fed policy. But despite all the focus and all the moves in short-term interest rates, long-term interest rates are relatively stable. That's what we're here to unpack today, and I have Julia Herman here with me to talk about it. In some ways, this is a delightfully nerdy topic that practitioners like ourselves find super interesting. But the market is normally focused, like you mentioned, Lauren, on that next one to six months of interest rates or Fed policy. And thinking beyond that very short time horizon can be beneficial to every investor, regardless of the asset classes they're investing in, and actually even thinking beyond just traditional investments and into other areas that help households build their financial futures, including insurance, annuities, financing a home. That's a great way to set the stage and the stakes for today's conversation. The next decade plus of where interest rates go affects everyone. And whether you're thinking about buying a home or refinancing a home in the next two years or even 10 years, or whether you're considering what investment mix to keep in retirement or just how you want to think about diversifying fixed income sleeve of your portfolio, today we'll talk with you about how we think about the drivers of interest rates over the long term. Exactly. And as you mentioned, we've noticed that even though there's been a huge amount of tumult in interest rates over the past three years, the long-term expectations haven't really changed at all, which is difficult to imagine because the main factors that determine where interest rates go have been shifting meaningfully. Our framework for analyzing long-term interest rates is simple and boils down to the components of a sovereign bond yield or a country's debt over time. In this episode, we're going to focus on U.S. treasuries, but the general idea is true across different types of government bonds. So a sovereign yield has three parts inflation expectations over the life of the bond. So if you're thinking about a 10-year treasury yield, then you'd be thinking about inflation expectations over 10 years. Same is true for the second factor, the expected path of the policy rate or the Fed funds rate in this case. And then finally, a term premium, which essentially accounts for shifts in supply and demand for that debt. Now, I want us to take each of these three buckets in turn. We see factors biasing yields higher and lower within each of these drivers. And I'm going to have Julia argue the factors in favor of the higher yields, and I'll consider the factors favoring lower yields. But what we'll share today is that because yields have been so stable over this time period, I think the market doesn't know which is going to win. Yeah. So shall we start with inflation expectations? Yes, let's do it. Inflation has obviously risen over the past year, but lots of people think about the future and expect that higher inflation trend to continue. Why is that? 
There are a lot of reasons to expect higher inflation and therefore higher yields over the next decade. So we're going to argue the higher yields point here. First, we have to argue about the lessons learned from those pandemic disruptions and from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There is a huge focus now around supply chain security and access to resources at the national level, whether that's in computer chips or energy independence. The likely long-term result of this is probably investment in domestic capacity, which then implies more debt, potentially more inflation, and potentially higher yields. But productive investment is a good thing in that it can bring higher economic growth, more jobs, all kinds of stuff economists like. Absolutely. So let's pause on that point. The high inflation of the past year and the higher interest rates of the past year have come, at least from my perspective, with a really negative connotation to regular consumers who are coping with that inflation and investors who are dealing with the impacts in the market. That's definitely the vibe in the investment space. But when we say that interest rates might be moderately higher over the next decade than they were in the last decade, it's not necessarily a bad thing if new economic growth comes with it. So if the GDP or gross domestic product trend moves up from around 2% to 3 or 4% a year, completely hypothetically, the economy can digest higher interest rates easier. And here I want to insert one argument that favors actually a lower yield environment in the future, which is technological innovation. A higher productive capacity of the economy can raise potential GDP and can actually pressure yields lower over time. So there's definitely two sides to the what happens with GDP growth and productivity point. And there's also no value judgment in what we're including here when we say that yields could be pressured higher or lower. Exactly. So one or the other isn't necessarily bad. It just really depends on the context. Okay, I'll let you get back to your additional votes in favor of higher inflation over the course of this 10 years. Yeah, so my final two arguments are less clear-cut in their implications for economic growth and investment. The first is that we expect a tighter labor market almost on a structural basis over the next decade. And Lauren, you mentioned tech innovation. The AI craze that we're seeing, artificial intelligence, may well disrupt labor market dynamics. But if it's hard to find workers, then wages and therefore prices and potentially yields do bias upward over time. And then finally, we also have to think about housing, namely that a structural housing shortage like the one that we do have today, that shortage could persist and that could keep housing costs and therefore that portion of inflation more elevated. Okay, so lots of factors that could bias inflation higher. Let's think now about some more of the factors that might actually push inflation and then yields lower, countering the drivers that you just described. First, technological innovation, which I mentioned, could be very disinflationary and therefore send yields lower. The second is a double-edged sword you mentioned earlier, Julia, the labor market. Ah, yes, because the key reason that we expect that tighter labor market moving forward is in large part because of aging demographics. And this is not just affecting the U.S. This affects Europe, Japan, also China and big swaths of emerging markets. So also, as you were mentioning earlier, one side of this could mean less labor availability, which pushes wages and therefore inflation higher. The flip side, though, is that an older population on average tends to consume less as they draw down their savings. So it may also mean that working age populations have a higher tax burden to care for larger, older generations. And all of that could reduce economic activity and drag yields down. I'm glad we're arguing both sides of this today because there is a lot of nuance here we're having to get into. And the reality is that nobody has a crystal ball. 
We certainly don't. And it's one of the things that makes long-term investing so challenging. But let's move into the second factor that impacts long-term interest rates, which is the policy rate. Actually, what most people think of when they think of interest rates. But the policy rate only determines the overnight rate and determines nothing directly along the whole length of the curve. I see one key argument in favor of higher policy rates and therefore potentially higher interest rates more generally here. More investment leading to more costs, more debt, pushing up inflation, pushing up yields. I tend to agree with that, but there's one X factor that could go either way here. How the Fed responds to that higher investment you're citing. For example, the Fed was okay with inflation running above target for some time after the pandemic until it got out of control. So we can't totally predict how that reaction function will skew in the future. Right. But net-net, if containing inflation is still the goal, it likely biases yields higher. That's right. And the clearest argument in my camp, or the lower yields camp, is recession. We don't necessarily know how the Fed will react to higher than expected economic growth and prices. But low, slow, sluggish economic growth, if that were the case, would likely result in a lower policy rate over time. All right, let's move on to the final determinant of long-term interest rates, which is the term premium. And let's start with explaining to our listeners, what is the term premium? Uh, everything but the kitchen sink, I guess. The term premium captures all the uncertainty the further that we go into the future, which relates to risks. Things like debt sustainability in the long term or geopolitical risk in the long term. Yes, and it also accounts for investor preferences and supply and demand dynamics, which relates back to that idea of how more investment in critical industries could also come hand in hand with issuing more debt at both the government and the corporate level. And new issuance means more supply. So by the simple law of supply and demand, when supply rises, if a lot of new debt is issued, you need to incentivize folks to lend to you. So prices come down and yields go up. Well, there you go. That's a pretty strong argument in favor of higher yields if they were to happen. And I'll just take the demand side then. If demand for debt instrument rises, yields should fall and prices should rise. What do you think, though, might spark investors to want to hold even more government or corporate debt than they already do? For the U.S., I think its status as a perceived safe haven helps a lot. Otherwise, I suspect investors will be looking for high-quality issuers that can maintain profitable investments over time. So yields might rise as higher-risk issuers try to find capital, but yields may be able to stay lower for those with high-quality segments. Net-net, we see more reasons for yields to be biased upward over the next several years. But as you can see, there's a reason why yields have been relatively range-bound over the past economic cycle. It's because there's a lot of factors changing and a lot of uncertainty around each of those factors. That brings us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. Where interest rates settle is important for investors, but why they settle where they settle might be even more important. As we've been discussing today, long-term treasury yields can move higher for just about two reasons. Treasury issuance to fund productive investments may bias long-term rates higher by increasing potential economic growth or raising the neutral interest rate. If, by contrast, yields are moving because of a misstep in supply and demand, so in that term premium section of those drivers we've discussed today, investors could expect more volatility. What Julia is describing here is so important because the why behind any move in interest rates has implications for investors. 
For the short term, for example, we're cautious on aggressive duration bets, as in adding interest rate risk in the long end of the treasury curve. While duration may benefit in the short term as interest rates fall, the medium term duration argument is murkier. If structural investment needs continually push the front end of the curve, why move further out, at least for now? So we encourage investors to maintain a neutral position in their overall duration exposure. So the way we're thinking about that is preferring a shorter duration exposure in corporate credit paired with a longer duration exposure in municipal bonds where the curve structure is more attractive. Coming up next, June labor market figures come out this week. Will there be any signs that job creation is slowing down? That's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, please remember to give us a like, follow, or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at NewYorkLifeInvestments.com, clicking the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamox and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which may vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.